0: Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey.
1: This is a Vault Studios production.
2: I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles.
3: It's just a, a tragic story of two young lives that should not have ended the way they did. Until this day, I still
4: remember seeing her dad's, you know... Eyes just with just so much pain and sorrow, and I, you know, I remember him telling me, He's okay, like, 'Hey, we're not, we're, we can't talk right now, but when, when we have the chance, we will.'
1: When friends of Allie Costell talk about what they remember about her, they remember a lot.
3: Allie was just very fun
2: and outgoing, very friendly girl. I'm just gonna miss how the fact that she was always there for me if I needed to talk to her. She's probably one of the most positive people I've ever met, honestly. She always had a smile on her face. Her best piece of advice that she ever gave to me was like not being afraid to be myself. She loved kids so much, so I know she wanted to start a family of her own one day. Just a ray of sunshine, just a really great person that that that. I mean, meant so much to so many people. Anyone you talk to about Allie has nothing but positive things to say about her. And even people didn't know her personally; they know how that she has impacted people in other people's lives, and that she was just such a ray of positivity. Take the headlines away, take away what happened. She deserves every single bit of praise and every every kind word that's been said to, about her.
1: But when Allie's friends talk about Brandon Thiesfeld, they tell a different story.
0: It's just odd, like very sketchy, like shady. When I try to, like, say, like, no, I'm busy this weekend
1: or something, he said, oh, it's okay, like, I'm not crazy or anything. Some have said he was kind of, you know, a hothead, kind of the typical cliche bad boyfriend attributes. Both Brandon and Allie were students at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. Allie, a St. Louis native, was just starting her senior year. That summer of 2019, she was back in Oxford early, teaching fitness classes and taking some classes as well. Brandon and Allie had what others described as an on-again, off-again relationship. But there was something else going on. Therese Apel is a reporter and the founder of CEO of Dark Horse Press in Mississippi. She's covered this case from the start.
3: At some point in mid-April, she let him know that she was afraid that she was pregnant. Uh, During this, Brandon told her that he wasn't ready to be a father, and she sent him a picture of a very inconclusive pregnancy test.
1: According to Apel, Allie had been trying to talk to Brandon for months about the pregnancy test but without any luck.
3: Brandon didn't want to talk to her. He told her right up front that there was no reason to even talk about it anymore. Like they could, they weren't going to be having this baby or if so, he wasn't going to have anything to do with it. So she continued to text him and ask him to meet with her and to, you know, just talk face to face about the situation that she, you know, was letting him know that she was in.
1: On the night of July 19th, 2019, Allie was seen on surveillance camera in Oxford, outside a bar. She made it home that night before midnight. Roommates say they didn't hear her come in, nor did they hear her leave again. As it turns out, leading up to that night of July 19th, Brandon had gone home to Texas. On that day, he was returning to Oxford. He'd actually already reached out to Allie about meeting up.
3: He immediately contacted Allie and said, you know what, it's time for us to meet face to face. And basically just asked Allie if she felt like her house was private enough. And so, of course, she was very interested in meeting with him at that point. And um, they, basically they connected on the day of the, the 19th. He had gotten back in town on the 17th, and they connected on the day of the 19th. And he said, just let me know when you get back from the bar, and I'll come over.
1: So in those early morning hours of July 20th, 2019, Allie and Brandon connected. And took a drive 30 miles outside of Oxford.
3: And he drove her out to Lake Sardis. Both of their phones pinged all the way out there to a place called Buford Blanding, which is somewhere that people would go to party and, you know, you know, do the woods parties things, fishing camp out there. Um, both of their phones stayed there for a while. And then between 2.15 and 2.30 a.m., someone who lived in that area said they heard gunshots. Um, both phones left that area shortly thereafter um, and seemed to track back to Oxford. Um, and during that time, Brandon's um, search history showed that he was searching things like listen to police scanner.
1: Later that morning, Brandon texted a friend from a gas station in a nearby town, about 10 minutes outside of Oxford.
3: And text the friend and asked if he can stay with him for a few hours because there's allegedly an um, exterminator in his apartment, killing bugs. And then later on, they checked that with the apartment complex, and that was not true. Um, So he goes to his friend's house and begins to search things like Sardis, Mississippi News. He stayed at his friend's house for a little while after that.
1: But then back at Lake Sardis around 10 that morning, a deputy doing a routine patrol finds a body.
5: There are no homes close by, and it's a long way to any major highway. This is an old fishing camp close to the water. People also come here to ride their ATVs in the woods or just hang out. Police say they were here because it was a routine patrol when they found Allie's body.
3: At a picnic table, uh, there were 11 shell casings around her as well as several empty beer cans. Police source confirms that
2: Allie Castillo was shot eight times. The Lindbergh High graduate was a student at Old Miss. Her body was found Saturday near a lake nearly 30 miles from campus. Her father posted on Facebook about her death saying police visited his home telling him his daughter was the victim of a homicide. Now, the Oxford Police Department, the Lafayette County Sheriff's Office, and the Missouri Bureau of Investigations are investigating Allie's case. If you have any information, call the number on the bottom of your screen.
6: A preliminary autopsy report confirms that Allie Castile was shot multiple times. Friends say the suspect and Allie dated and the relationship was troubled.
1: Detectives would soon determine that both Brandon's and Allie's cell phones pinged to that location on Lake Sardis earlier that night. They needed to talk to Brandon. But when police reached out and asked him to come in, Brandon decided to run. A manhunt ensued. Brandon made it to Memphis, about 90 miles away, where police eventually caught up with him at a gas station in a residential neighborhood. Not a place that you would find somebody on a Monday morning around 9.30 unless they lived in that area. They kept that part quiet about why he was up there, and and obviously they were tracking his phone and any cards, debit cards, credit cards, and they pinged him up there.
7: 21-year-old Brandon Thiesfeld was arrested this morning. The Lafayette County Sheriff's Department and the Mississippi Bureau of Investigations arrested Brandon Thiesfeld, an Ole Miss student
1: from Fort Worth. Brandon had a gun with him, and it matched the bullets and shell casings found at the murder scene back on Lake Sardis. It was a gun that, in fact, he'd brought back from his trip home to Dallas in the days leading up to Allie's murder. He'd even Snapchatted a photo of the gun at one point.
3: The data analyst that did the heavy work on this case, they said that he um, Snapchatted a photo of his gun with the caption, bringing baby back home during this time. His phone searches show things along the lines of serial killers and abortion clinics and and things like that.
1: April describes other searches on Brandon's phone, ones that were made in the hours before he met up with Allie that July night.
3: In those hours, he was texting how Ted Bundy lured his uh, victims to their death. He was text. I mean, he was uh, searching things like colorpoint bullets, and tactical masks.
1: In the days that followed, police gathered more evidence, including that video surveillance of Allie the last night she was seen alive.
3: Here is new video of Allie the night before her body was found. It shows her on Oxford Square, just off Ole Miss campus. Her body was found Saturday morning near a fishing camp.
7: It shows Allie moments after walking out of a bar on Oxford Square near the campus of Old Miss. She appears to be on her cell phone while
5: walking down the street. This is a part of town where a lot of Ole Miss students hang out. And this is one of the last places anyone saw Allie alive. Security cam footage from across the street appears to show her checking in at this bar here, then continuing on down the sidewalk, walking all by herself. The sheriff's department says Allie made it home by midnight that night, but then left again. Her roommates say they didn't hear her leave,
1: and they're not sure why she did. Police also conducted a search at Brandon's home in Texas.
3: At which point they found a two-page letter that he had written to his parents, and in that letter he tells them that he's never been a good person and he's always had bad thoughts, Um, and basically just told them that it's not their fault. It's his. And that something inside him just doesn't work. He ends up saying he's either going to prison or he's going to die as a result of whatever he was into.
1: In the meantime, Brandon's lawyers were going to work.
0: As for the suspect, we've learned he's hired prominent defense attorneys to represent him. He remains in jail tonight with no bond.
1: If
5: there is a high profile case anywhere near Oxford, Mississippi, it's likely Tony Faris will have a hand in it. The Mississippi Matlock, some call him, Farees and his family firm are defending Thesfeld. Does he maintain his innocence? We will be entering a plea of not guilty. Does he have an alibi? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics. People have said that uh, Brandon and Ali had a troubled relationship, um, even verbally abusive. Some have said, and then I've seen others describe him as arrogant and misogynistic. Some might say that that doesn't look good for your client. I would disagree with those characterizations. The people who have uh, responded in the blogs are, uh, in my opinion, people who di- did not know Brandon. He
3: hired some very good attorneys from North Mississippi who immediately put him in for a um, mental evaluation. We
5: are also making a request for a psychiatric evaluation. We've been... considered- waived a chance at bond for Thesfeld to expedite a psychiatric evaluation by the state hospital. What do you hope to find from that evaluation? Is he competent to stand trial? Is he competent to assist his counsel in the defense of his case? And then sanity. Uh, at the time of the offense, or the alleged offense, uh, did he know the difference between right and wrong? Do you think he can get a fair trial, given all the publicity? All we want are 12 independent minds who were unbiased, who have not heard anything about the case.
1: And as news of Ali's murder spread... Across the Ole Miss campus, across Texas, and back to Ali's hometown in St. Louis, reporters delved into Brandon's past, his upbringing, and anything they could learn about the young man now charged with capital murder and kidnapping. Property records show he grew up in the gated Ashbriar community.
7: He studied at Fort Worth Academy until he finished the eighth grade and went off to high school. The Eastfield's Facebook page says he went to Fort Worth Country Day, but a spokesperson here at the school says he only attended as a freshman and sophomore. It's not clear exactly why, but he transferred to San Marcos Academy, a Christian boarding school about 40 miles south of Austin, where he graduated in 2016. A spokesperson at the school did not elaborate on his time there, but said Costiel's family is in her prayers. A Twitter account in Thiesfeld's name shows a photograph at San Marcos Academy in what appears to be an ROTC uniform. The same account shows tweets posted the day police found Costiel's body. Both were enrolled in the Ole Miss School of Business Administration. A spokesperson says Thiesfield has been suspended from the university as he awaits trial.
3: Another girl who went on a couple dates with him at Ole Miss this year is now coming forward, saying she ended things when Thiesfield made comments that made her uncomfortable.
6: That's what really threw me off and put me off, and that I didn't really want to hang around him anymore.
7: Brandon Thiesfeld's father, Daniel, released this statement this afternoon. I know my son is innocent, and I have reasons to believe that. I can't share anything now. But I would ask everybody to please give him the presumption of innocence until proven otherwise.
1: Still reeling from the news of her death, friends and family gathered to remember the young woman who had touched their lives.
6: The Ole Miss student from St. Louis was shot to death last weekend. There must have been more than 100 people tonight. Allie's friends say they appreciate that turnout because there was nothing she loved more than having her friends together. It was emotional. There were lots of hugs and lots of tears.
0: I may have been Allie's teacher, um, but clearly listening to everybody's thoughts tonight, she she taught a lot of us as well. And I know our candles are burning, but Allie clearly is a light that's going to shine on in each and every one of you. She didn't deserve what happened to her. Nobody does, but she doesn't especially.
6: And I just want everyone to remember that. I want everyone to focus on how good of a person she was and how much joy she brought into the world and how positive she was, not the situation. This was the last picture,
2: the most recent picture I had with her. I'm like, someone wouldn't do this to Allie. It's tragic that this is the first time a lot of people are
4: hearing about her.
1: Justina Cornell is a reporter at KSDK in St. Louis, She covered the vigil and the case back in Allie's hometown.
4: You know, Allie was loved so much. And uh, I think it was evident by the amount of people um, saying just the most incredible things about her and also just the outpour of love that she was getting. I was able to speak to her track and field coach. Um, He had been there for 20 years at Lindbergh High School. Um, and he had lived in the Colorado when the news broke out. And I think it just shows the commitment and like the love that people had for her was that he drove 14 hours just to be at her funeral. Um, and, you know, kind of that mentality of like, once she was, you know, one of, uh, the students I'd worked with, I, you know, and an athlete that I worked with, she will always be someone, you know, that I'm there for. And so she was just talking, he was just talking to me about how she was a long distance runner and she had always had determination and grit and tenacity just to kind of go that extra mile.
5: She was that kid, the reason that coaches coach. When you're a kid with no background in competitive running and tell the coach, hey, I want to be a distance runner, you're a pretty special kid. That's, that's tough. It speaks exactly to her, I think, at her core. She didn't take the easy way out of things. She liked challenges. She was not afraid of working hard. She deserves to have the people that knew her who she meant a lot to. You can at least be there for a goodbye, at the very least. She would be gratified. She was a very humble kid, so f- to know that people really were moved by her, and she deserved that, and she deserved a lot more than what she wound up getting.
1: Tress April remembers Ali's parents talking about the daughter they'd lost at such a young age.
3: Just talked about you know, how involved she was and how talented and ambitious. And um, all the different things that she accomplished in her life. She was an avid athlete. She, you know, was very smart. She, you know, had a great business mind, that kind of thing. They talked about that. And they talked about when she was a younger child, you know, and loved to pick flowers and loved Ariel the mermaid and things like that.
1: Allie's murder also put a spotlight on young women in abusive relationships.
6: One in three teenagers and one in four young women ages 18 to 24 say they've been in an abusive relationship. Safe Connections, an organization that provides help for people in abusive relationships, says there are some warning signs to look out for. Abuse can start with a phone, one partner wanting to have constant access to the other through repeated calls and texts and isolation.
0: It happens over time, a gradual buildup of some of those behaviors, usually starting with jealousy, manipulation, shame or guilt, and then escalating as the relationship continues.
1: In August of this year, Brandon Thiesfield appeared in court and confessed to killing Allie in July 2019.
3: New information tonight, the man accused of killing an Ole Miss student in 2019 pleaded guilty to first-degree murder this morning. Brandon Thiesfeld is accused of shooting and killing Ali Castile near Sardis Lake in Mississippi in July 2019. After the judge ruled that he was competent to stand trial, prosecutors gave their account of the events leading up to the shooting. The judge accepted the guilty plea, and now Thiesfeld will face life in prison instead of the death penalty if he had been found guilty of his original charge of capital murder. And he started off, it was a pretty routine, you know, thing that you hear from someone in their, their I guess their statement at their plea hearing or, or whatever. But um, he started off by saying, you know, I hope God will forgive me. I've prayed for forgiveness. I know what I did was wrong. I want to apologize to the family. But at some point when he said to the family, I hope one day you can find it in your heart to forgive me, his voice cracked and kind of was overcome with emotion. And that's the first thing we've seen from him or from his camp that showed any, um, any real feeling. And I think that was something that was very interesting to watch in court. And, and I saw her family moved just a little bit. We were sitting in a balcony. So you know we could kind of see the whole family at once. But otherwise, it just stayed stone quiet in there when he said that. One of the most poignant moments was when the mother, um, her mother, Cindy Costiel, said something like, I hope every time your cell door slams, you think of the beautiful life that you've ripped away from us.
1: Brandon did not reveal a motive in his confession. We only know that the relationship was rocky, troubled.
4: I hope the family, just knowing, having that admission and having that gets closure. But it, overall, like what the judge said, it's it's a lose-lose for society. I mean, pretty much that day, everyone lost. So um, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I just hope the family can have some closure with knowing that, and that's all we hope for. But it's kind of just, it's just a sad, sad situation overall. I think remembering
2: how amazing of a person she was and honoring that in our day-to-day lives and carrying that with us with the same passion in our hearts, um,
0: Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey.
2: Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners. As always, Reid Redmond here to round out this episode with Will Johnson. Will, this is such a difficult story, and in the end, just such a senseless act of violence. I'm wondering, can you share some more information about what led up to the actual arrest? It sounds like Brandon Thiesfeld had initially agreed to come talk to the police on his own, but then that didn't happen. Yeah, police actually called Thiesfeld in for questioning, and he told them that he was uncomfortable
1: about coming in at the time. He said he had been drinking, but that he would come in on Monday, so a few days from when they talked to him. Uh, And it's during that period of time after he
2: told them that he would be coming in, that he fled to Memphis, where then authorities eventually caught up with him. So after the arrest then, we go from Thiesfeld initially entering that plea of not guilty to him ultimately admitting to the murder— Do we know anything about what sparked that decision to change his plea? Well, here's what we know, and I can tell you some of
1: this uh, thanks to Casey Nolan at KSDK in St. Louis, who you hear interviewing Thiesfeld's attorney, Tony Faris, early on, you know, back when they were still uh, uh, requesting a, a mental competency hearing and seeing if he could go forward to trial over time. And it's our understanding that there was so much evidence, and we heard about a lot of the evidence: the digital evidence, the gun that he he, he was found with in Memphis, the searches on his phone. Uh, there was so much there that once a judge determined and told his lawyers that he was competent, the case would go to trial. That's when they made their decision to uh, to make a plea deal. And in this case, as is mentioned in the story, uh, he avoided a, a trial that with a
2: possible, you know, death penalty. You talked about how. Thiesfeld didn't admit to a specific motive, but of course the timeline here all goes back to that pregnancy test with inconclusive results, I think is how Therese Apel phrased it. Did we ever learn anything else about that if Ali Kostel was in fact pregnant at the time of her murder? Yeah, of course. That's a question
1: that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who were paying attention to this case uh, wanted to know the answer to. At the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. Brandon Thiesfeld is behind bars now for this terrible crime. What I can tell you, Therese Apel at Dark Horse Media confirmed what we also heard from Tony Faris, uh, Brandon's attorney. Uh, And he told reporters that the evidence showed she was not pregnant. So, uh,
2: again, quote, he said the autopsy showed that she was not pregnant and there was no evidence that she had been pregnant. You talked a little bit as well about how this case has been putting a spotlight on domestic violence and violence against women. And the statistics that we heard, you know, they're they're not new, but they're just so upsetting every time I hear them. And when you look at just one case, I think sometimes people might want to say it's it's a personal issue or an isolated incident, but with one in three teenagers and one in four women saying they've been in an abusive relationship when something like this happens, it's not just an isolated incident. It's a community issue. And of course. It's not just murder cases. There are other forms of domestic violence and abuse. And I'll mention for anyone who might be experiencing domestic violence that the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the United States is 800-799-SAFE. That's 800-799-7233. Or you can text the word START to 88788. And there's also additional resources on their website at thehotline.org. All right. Thanks, Reed. I also want to thank Casey Nolan at KSDK in St.
1: Louis for his help uh, in putting all of this together. Also, Justina Cornell at KSDK and Therese Apel with Dark Horse Media in Mississippi. Be sure to check out our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault, and you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.